0: Welcome to From the Front Porch, a conversational podcast about books, small business, and life in the South. Aunt Rosa likes to send away for all sorts of gifts, and sometimes those gifts are for me. I get them from different companies that make different things, like soap and chocolate drinks, and they give me something to look forward to and hope for. It's odd how just the littlest thing, like a plastic ring or a badge, can give a person something to go on, like gasoline does, in a car. Margaret Verbal, Stealing. I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. And this week, I'm joined by Bookshelf floor manager Olivia Schaefer and online sales manager Erin Fielding. We're giving you our rundown of our favorite new books releasing in February. Before we get started, a reminder that one of our main goals for 2022 was to grow the show to 10,000 listeners, and we are continuing to work toward that goal. We are so very close. The best way to grow the show is to have listeners like you leave a review on Apple Podcasts. All you have to do is open up the podcast app on your phone, look for From the Front Porch, scroll down until you see write a review and tell us what you think. Here's a recent review from Jen Cam 22. I was looking for a podcast that gives honest book reviews and surprisingly enough that was a difficult task. Then I came upon Annie's podcast and it feels like I'm having coffee and talking about books with friends. Everything about From the Front Porch is cozy and delightful, from the introductory sounds of the porch swing to the inclusion of what Annie is reading at the end. Annie makes Thomasville sound so lovely that it is now my dream to retire there and spend my days at the bookshelf. Thank you, Jen Cam, and thank you to all the reviewers who left kind words and thoughtful reviews for us back in 2022. We're so grateful anytime you share From the Front Porch with your friends. Thank you for spreading the word about our podcast and our bookstore. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, Olivia and Erin.
1: Hey. Hello. Feels like it's been forever. I know. It has I been forever. I was just thinking, we have lived
2: a lot of life since we <laughs> last recorded a new release <laughs> rundown.
0: <laughs> I had a moment this morning where I thought, it is just January 25th or something as we're recording this. It feels like we have lived three months in one. Does it not? Yeah. I was just thinking in
1: my head, I was like, it feels like it should be March. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Like, how is it only day 25 of this year? I just feel like a lot of stuff has already happened. Not even necessarily bad stuff. It's just been real full.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We've really crammed a lot into this January for (laughs) sure.
0: Yeah. Okay. Friends, if this is a new episode for you, We are going to go through February's new releases, kind of round robin style, with each of us featuring a few different titles that we're really looking forward to that we've read and enjoyed, or that we have not yet read but are looking forward to reading. So as we go through these new books, keep in mind that Erin has made browsing our podcast book selections easier than ever on our new website. One of the things we have done in the first 25 days of the month. Just go to bookshelfomasville.com and now you can type. The episode number. So episode 411 into the search bar, and you'll see all of today's books listed ready for you to purchase. So again, just go to the search bar at bookshelfthomasville.com and you can type episode 411 into the search bar and see all of today's books listed. Don't forget, you can still use code new release, please at checkout for 10% off your order of any of today's titles. Okay. Are you guys ready? Yeah. So ready. How many books do y'all have? Five each. Yes. yes. Okay. Great. Then I will start. Then we'll go. Aaron. Oh, I think I I think I messed that up in the notes. We normally go Annie, Olivia, Aaron, but my notes say <laughs> Annie, Aaron, Olivia. So I, <laughs> well,
2: well, well. <laughs> look how the turns tabled, or however Michael Scott said.
0: <laughs> well, look, look how the turntables. Uh, okay. So yeah, we can do that. So we're just going to go round robin. Here we go. My first book is the book that I started the episode with, Stealing by Margaret Verbal. This released on February 7th. And when I was asked last week during our in-store literary lunch what my favorite book of the year was so far, again, on day like 25 or 26, whatever it was, I had no trouble answering that it is Stealing by Margaret Verbal. This book is is reminiscent in some ways of what the Fireflies knew, or even, yes, like the classic To Kill a Mockingbird, primarily because our narrator is Kit Crockett. She is a, I think probably preteen, like 11 or 12-year-old, maybe 13-year-old little girl. And she lives with her father. She's recently lost her mother, and her father is still grieving. And so she Lives kind of this free range childhood full of adventure and whimsy and exploration. And the way that Margaret Verbal writes in Kit's voice is so remarkable. Like it doesn't feel like a precocious 11, 12 year old that's like too smart. Like you don't actually know any 11 or 12 year old like that. Kit sounds like a very realistic 12 year old girl. And the way she views the world is really lovely. The book though is a little heavier. I think the author handles it with real tenderness and beauty, but basically the news stories that we all heard maybe within the last couple of years, all about these schools in Canada and also in America, where they would educate, I'm using air quotes for educate, but they would educate young indigenous children, frequently orphans or children who they took from their homes, and they would re-educate them so that they would become more you know, civilized. And not only were those schools just a, you know, a horrible idea, but then we in our recent history have begun to discover that they didn't educate those children or when they were educating those children, they were also frequently abusing those children. So Margaret Verbal has kind of taken those true stories and based the story of Kit around that. So we are introduced to Kit kind of living this really adventurous young life. She kind of loves the life she's living, although she desperately misses her mother. Her mother was a Cherokee and her father is white. And she is eventually, no spoilers, you could get this from the title, she's eventually stolen from her home and taken to one of these schools. And so the rest of the book is kind of her trying to get home and her family, particularly her mother's family, her mother's siblings and grandparents, Um, mother's parents are trying to bring her back to her father and kind of trying to prove that he can take care of her. So I loved this book. I think it is fabulous. I think it is beautifully written. I know all of that sounds really heavy, but I can't quite explain how hopeful and funny this book is because Kit is hopeful and funny. And I think because it is her narration, the book really, really sings. So anyway, I love this book. It's Stealing by Margaret Verbal. It came out this past Tuesday. Okay. Do I get to go next for real?
2: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Sure. It's in my notes. Go ahead. Okay. Well, if it's in your notes, it must be true. So um, (laughs) my first book that's coming out next month is called Someone Else's Shoes by Jojo Moyes. It came out February the 7th. So it's out now. Jojo Moyes is an incredibly prolific writer. Some of my favorite books of hers are Me Before You, which I think was turned into a movie. And then also The Giver of Stars, which to me was like a sort of a departure from her usual style and subject matter but I really enjoyed that too. The premise of this book is a little bit like The Prince and the Pauper. I feel like in The Prince and the Pauper the two people got together and they decided to sort of swap mm-hmm. lives. These participants are a little bit more unwilling. Basically uh, two women are at a gym and they leave their bags on the bench and they accidentally pick up the other woman's bag and so it leads them both on this life trajectory where the one woman who's sort of your average, I would say 40-year-old, sort of stuck in a job she doesn't love, She her bag, she opens it and she realizes, oh, there's these fancy Christian Louboutin heels and a fancy blazer. And she decides, well, you know, it can't hurt to wear them for just one day. And so she wears them and she starts closing all these business deals. And it sort of takes her on this life trajectory where it kind of gives her that, that little spark that she needs to change her own life. Her husband is out of work. Her a daughter is like a grown up daughter and is sort of out of the home and is you know unavailable anyway uh so that's where it takes her and then the mm-hmm. other woman is a person who is like living the penthouse life her husband uh suddenly leaves her and takes all of her money every all all of her assets become unavailable to her and her bag that she opens is the other lady's bag and it's got like <laughs> dirty tennis shoes and and gym wear and so that's all she's left to wear and it takes her on this path where she becomes more humble but she also hmm. sees how, quote unquote, real people live. And, you know, she has to work hard for once in her life to make money. And she doesn't have access to the friends and the people that used to kind of be her fair weather friends. And she finds actual real friends that are there for her. Um, so it's, it's just fun. It kind of reminds me of, I just finished reading um, Flying Solo by Linda Holmes. And hmm. it kind of has that same, not the same storyline really, but it just sort of has that same... Fun vibe, like nothing too deep, but there are some moving parts. And it's just interesting to see how this simple swapping of bags takes these two ladies on completely different trajectories than they were on before. It sounds
0: fun.
1: Yeah. Okay. I'm starting off this year with a middle grade novel, No Shock to Anyone. (laughs) This is The Swifts. What is it? A Swifts. It's like a dictionary or something.
0: A dictionary of scoundrels.
1: Yes. Um, I'm going to say, the subtitle is so important to this. <laughs> <laughs> it's Thank in your you. You, I, you did yeah, a great job. I have a small piece of paper in front of me. <laughs> 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 These, like, mini composition books that I got Dumbledore's Army have actually yeah, gone there's... very far into my life.
0: <laughs> but they are American Girl doll-sized composition yes. books. Everybody <laughs> <laughs> So Olivia holds it up. It's like an SNL skit. Her notebook is so tiny. It's
1: like Olivia, who's been using a reusable notebook for the past two years, has finally switched to an American Girl doll-sized yes. composition book. Well, when you hold it
2: close to the camera, it
1: looks normal.
0: Yeah, guys. it looks huge. Yeah. It just looks so big. Good job. <laughs> uh,
1: so anyway, The Swifts, A Dictionary of Scoundrels by Beth Lincoln, out February 7th. And I think you look through some of my winter catalogs for children's books. There are a lot of kids' books that come out dealing with heavy topics nowadays. And this one Mm -hmm. is just pure fun. Mm-hmm. Um. This is about. Uh, were you so worried when I said? That? <laughs> yes, I was waiting. I was like, "Oh boy, which direction? <laughs> which this heavy is gonna topic go? is this going to be?" <laughs> no, I was so delighted by this book. Um, first, it plays with so many like words and phrases throughout it that like I think not only children will enjoy it, but like I, as a grown adult, also really enjoyed it. Um, and I think someone who wouldn't typically read middle grade would still enjoy it. But this is about this unique family where whenever a child is born, they pull out their big old family dictionary. Like the mom has just given birth. They pull out the dictionary. She closes her eyes, flips to a random page points at a word in the dictionary. And that is the child's name
0: because they believe
1: that like this child will grow up to like become the qualities of this word.
0: Uh So
1: we meet um, the three siblings uh, shenanigan Phenomena and Felicity, <laughs> <laughs> <That's> fabulous, <laughs> who all ring very true to their names. And they are like in this big house and a family reunion is happening because the matriarch has like called a reunion. They're setting out to find this like missing family inheritance. But along the way, stuff happens, things go wrong. They're like great aunt who takes care of them. Oh, and her name is like Shouten fraud. I don't know because she was born oh, in Germany yeah. and they didn't have the <laughs> family dictionary. <laughs> That's brilliant. When you first meet this aunt, it she's like making everyone practice for her funeral um, because oh. she wants it done a specific way. So like the family knows exactly what to do. It is very fun, super <laughs> hilarious, filled with lots of hijinks. Shenanigan is adorable, and her sister Phenomena is great. We'll she is well, but. It is just pure fun. The Swifts, The Dictionary of Scoundrels by Beth Lincoln.
0: That sounds so fun. Olivia, am I making this up? What if I dreamed this? Are you reading Phantom Tollbooth this year? Yes, I, I am. That? Yeah. Okay. You, I think this kind of sounds like that. Like the wordplay is so yes. fun in that book. I think, I think you're going to really enjoy that. And I think if people enjoyed that, maybe they'll enjoy The Swifts.
1: Yes. I just recently downloaded the audiobook. So I'm very excited. Oh, yeah.
0: Oh, fun. fun. Okay. My next book is called Mame. This is by Jessica George. It released this week. I partly listened to Mame and then also read a physical copy. And I think people who enjoyed Queenie or People Person, both by Candace Cardi williams will really like this book. The main character is Maddie. She lives in London. Her family is originally from Ghana, but Maddie never grew up there and so feels very loose ties to Ghana and instead she lives in London kind of taking care of her father and she and her father kind of have have a weird relationship but mommy's brother will not take care of the father and then her mother prefers to spend like half a year in London and half a year back home in Ghana and her mother just prefers living in Ghana and so it's not coming home to kind of take care of her husband. And so Mame is Maddie's nickname and it's kind of what her family calls her because it's a play on the word mother. And so she's like this maternal figure, but she comes to really resent this nickname because she feels like she is bearing the family's burdens. And the book is a lot about, you know, coming of age in your mid twenties, right? Like figuring out who you are It's about caregiving and familial relationships, and it's about standing up for yourself. Maddie kind of embarks on this journey of personal discovery to figure out what she really enjoys to start to date outside of the traditional boundaries her mother has set um, and her mother's religion has set. So it's all, I found it all to be really interesting. Here's what I will say about Mame. I wound up really loving all of the Characters who kind of interact with Mame, like all of her family members. Her brother is really interesting and complicated. I really liked her friends. She has a really good or interesting group of friends, kind of helping her along as she figures out who she is. She has a therapist. Like I found, I found all of those characters really interesting. And Maddie, sometimes she drove me a little bit bonkers. Like. Like, like I just wanted to kind of take her by the shoulders and kind of steer her in the direction I wanted her to go. But I think that's what is so lovely about uh, Jessica George's character that she's created in Maddie. She is imperfect. She is flawed and she also is broken by the system that she faces. She's a black woman who is trying to make it in the publishing world in London. Most, if not all of her co-workers are white. And so there is a lot about. Race, particularly in um, the publishing industry, but also just in industries in general. She works both in publishing and then, partly, I think, if I'm not mistaken, in theater. I, I listened to this a while ago. But she also overcomes all those things. And much like the narrator in Stealing, Kit Crockett, Mame or Maddie is somebody with a lot of gumption. And I really came to appreciate that about her. And I loved how Jessica George kind of brought the family together. Um, The family is definitely chaotic and messy and Maddie ultimately winds up dealing with quite a bit of grief. This is no no spoilers, but her father kind of dies toward the beginning of the novel. And so Maddie's identity as a caregiver is now lost. Like there's the person she was caring for is no longer there for her to take care of. So anyway, we get to see Maddie kind of muddle through adulthood a little bit later than other people might. Like she feels like she's a late bloomer trying to move out for the first time, buy her own groceries, find a job, all of those things. So I really liked this book. I think it'll be enjoyable. I love the audiobook. I think the physical book has a beautiful cover. So you may want it for that. I wound up doing both and enjoyed both, but I do think the audiobook is great. I listened to it on Libro FM. Of course, that is Mame by Jessica George came out this week.
2: My next book is called The Sun Walks Down by Fiona McFarlane. It releases on February 14th. This is her second novel. She wrote one before, and she's also written some short story collections that were actually um, prize winning, like some Australian prizes. She is an Australian author. Um, this book was blurbed by Elizabeth McCracken and Geraldine Brooks, of you know who wrote March and also Horse. So there's good company there. But I really, really loved this book. Um, the cover is <laughs> kind of boring. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like just like orange and the words kind of fade into the colors. So, you know, there is that. So the cover is not going to catch you probably, but the story for sure is a hidden gem within that orange cover. <laughs> <laughs> but it's set in 1883 in Australia. I want to say Australian Outback. But it's really more like Australian farmland. But the visual that she gives us is just a lot of flat, sort of maybe rocky uh, terrain with um, people who are farmers. This like this book was set in 1883. It did not feel like I was when I read it. I didn't think, oh, this is a book set in another time. It felt modern. It felt mm-hmm. like it could have been set last week, or it could have been set like it was in 1883. But the story begins when there's a dust storm and there's a little boy named Denny who wanders away from home and goes missing. And so that's really the impetus of the story. And from there you get this whole cast of characters. You get his family who is, he has a large family. His mother is deaf and his father is just a sheep herder farmer. So they're trying to go around and round up people to help search for him. So this cast Mm -hmm. of people who are out searching for him, and the people who stay behind are really the most interesting parts of the story. Um, you do actually hear from Denny. There are chapters that are from Denny's perspective being lost. And it's both adorable and also frustrating because, like, mm. he doesn't see things like adults would see them. Like, he sees the lights of the searchers. Like, we know it's the lights of the people searching for him, but he sees it as he thinks there are these gods that are chasing him. And so he's uh. trying to hide from the gods. So every time, These people get close to him. He hides, and you're like screaming. You're like, (laughs) "Daddy, Daddy, it's your parents!" (laughs) What kept me reading uh, was the chapters are broken up by like day one, night one, day two, night Mm. two, and it's just over a week, so it's not a long period of time. Um, I won't spoil it. I won't spoil whether they find Denny or not. You have to read it for them. <laughs> or should I? I don't know. There's probably people that are like, I'm not going to read it if they don't find Denny. <laughs> I mean, I would like to know. <laughs> no, <Denny>. don't tell. <laughs> yeah, I won't tell. You have to read it, Livia, or we'll talk about it later. But <laughs> It does um, sound
0: good. I'm kind of intrigued now. Well, it kept me reading.
2: The, the way that the author describes australia i've never been there but after i read this book i both feel like i've been there and also i really want to go there Mm. these hosts of characters and the way that this little boy's disappearance impacts their life like there's a police officer that had just gotten married like he denny goes missing on the night of this police officer's wedding and Mm. because that's why everyone's at the wedding and like no one notices that denny is gone And so the police officer then has to go out for this whole week and search for him and not be with his bride, who he just married. And so you get the perspective of the bride who's left behind Mm -hmm. all this time and her longing for her husband and what she gets up to while he's gone. (laughs) But anyway, it just feels very epic to me. Um, It feels like if you like Properties of Thirst by Marianne Wiggins, Mm -hmm. which I did, it feels like in that same vein. It feels big. It feels epic. I can see it as a movie. I love the title. It's called The Sun Walks Down. And that comes from, um, in the story, there's a couple, uh, one of them is like a Swedish artist. And they're there in Australia, and he's trying to capture the sunset. That's why he came to Australia to try to paint the sunset. And he, he keeps saying like English doesn't have the right words uh, like for mm. some beautiful things. And he said in Swedish, they have their, their word for sunset basically translates to the sun walks down slowly. Mm. Um, and so I just thought that was really beautiful. I think I'm going to start saying that the sun is walking down instead <laughs> of the sun is setting. But yeah. anyway, it's a really great book. I can't wait for everyone
1: to read it. I want to want to go to Australia, but there is a huge part of me that knows I could never do it.
2: Oh, I never will. I'm sorry to say. I never will. I'm not worried about the
1: flight. I'm worried about the spiders. (laughs) (laughs) I can do a long flight.
0: (laughs) I can't do large spiders.
2: Well, I saw some some news story yesterday, which made me laugh because I knew I was going to talk about Australia today that like, I don't know, let's say that there's 29 species of snakes, like 28 of them live in Australia. Like there's there's a lot of snakes in Australia, y'all.
1: I can't do snakes either. Yeah, don't do it. (laughs) <laughs> I'm out on both counts, Ooh. which leads me to my next book segue. My next book is cold people by Tom Rob Smith. And this is about basically survival in Antarctica, which I actually feel like I might be able to survive in because no bugs.
0: That's true. Yeah. I can You'd do be that. safe.
1: <laughs> so I'm going <laughs> to like to phrase this in the right way to grab the right audience. Um, But this does start with um, an alien apocalypse, which sounds immature and, like, not what I'm trying, like, a little bit juvenile. But, like, the way it's done is is very well done. Think of, like, the passage by Justin Cronin. Like, the way he did, like, a zombie apocalypse. Like, it's not the right words for it, but it's the only words I have for it. (laughs) <laughs> so aliens descend from the sky and they basically tell everybody across the world that they have 30 days to make it to antarctica that's the only place that we are allowed to live from then on <laughs> Okay. and so um you meet these two characters liza and her soon-to-be boyfriend and they met in this like trip that she was going on she's like from america but she's like in europe on a trip and they meet and they like kind of fall in love almost instantly. But like the next hour, the aliens come down and he kind of rescues her family who are like trying to evacuate the city. But like at this point, traffic is at a standstill and everyone's like panicked um, because Mm -hmm. as soon as something like that would happen, all rules go out the door. Mm -hmm. And so they end up on a boat because his family owns a rather large ship. And they make it down to like South Africa where they realize they're not going to make the 30 day mark. And so they board Mm -hmm. another ship to get them there. They like kind of make some trades and like her parents can't come because the ship won't take anyone older than 45 or anyone Mm -hmm. who's sick or anyone who's younger than a certain age um, or just would need extra care and wouldn't be able to survive Antarctica to begin with because what would be the point? And so, like, then they cross the Drake's Passage, which I then did, like, a deep dive on the Drake Passage, which is crazy. (laughs) And they make it to Antarctica. And they're, like, along this, like, fleet of ships that are just, like, lining the coast. And everyone's staying in the ships because why would they leave the ships? It's, like, negative 50 degrees Fahrenheit outside. They would never survive. But Liza gets this idea and she's, like, aliens don't realize that we're in Antarctica territory. Like, Mm -hmm. Uh, we're pretty sure they mean continental Antarctica. Mm -hmm. So she like makes it off this boat, like grabs as many people as she can to come with her. And sure enough, she was right. And everyone else um, is dead. Mm -hmm. And then it flashes forward 20 years and you see how like they have started establishing different like colonies in Antarctica. Like some of them are on like research bases that were already there prior to this. And like, The one that she lives at, she started basically from scratch with her husband, but they've started like doing this um, genetic mutations on people to try to make them be able to survive the cold in a way that a human already can't. Hmm. It is so well done. The chapters are like three to four pages long, but they grab you right away. Like it was like you were saying, Erin, we're like, I can already see this as a movie playing in my head because Mm -hmm. the characters are so fascinating. And I do love when this is going to sound morbid, but I don't mean it in that way. I love Mm -hmm. watching people in like, hard to survive situations or like survivalist Mm -hmm. situations. Like I think project Hail Mary, he wakes up in a whole other solar system by Mm -hmm. himself. What is he supposed to, what would you even do? Mm -hmm. You know, you made it to Antarctica and now you have nothing. What would you even do? Um, And these people have found a way to like adapt and move forward. Um, And he just started introducing other characters and like how they survived, where they were coming from. It is so well done. Um, and again it truly doesn't feel like an alien apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Cuz it's it's a, apocalyptic. Cause it's a survival Yeah, but it's like a yeah. survivalist story, like a yeah. yeah, pioneer story really. It is really really well fun. done. My next book is completely different from that. It is... (laughs) EFF, A Memoir of Friendship Lost and Found. This is a book that actually was recommended to me by Esme. I believe she either listens to the advanced listening copy of this or something. But Christy Tate was the writer of Group, which was a book that was part her personal memoir about being in group therapy, but also kind of investigated group therapy from maybe a kind of nonfiction perspective. And so BFF is the same kind of thing where she is investigating friendship, particularly female friendship. And so she's kind of taking a look at taking stock of the friends she's had over the course of her life and why some of those friendships lasted and why some of them didn't and really kind of analyzing them and trying to figure out the role she played in those relationships Esme thought it was really good and really well done. It reminds me a little bit of a book I read probably 10, 11 years ago called MWF Seeking BFF, which was one woman's journey to like find a friend in adulthood, which I think we all know is actually really challenging. And so I like the idea that this is a book where this woman, Christy, is looking back on her friendships and kind of almost inventorying them and trying to figure out, you know why are some relationships seasonal? Why do some friendships last forever? What is it about childhood friends that like we can still occasionally like pick up right where we left off? Um, and through it all she's kind of got this woman who she is friends with um, who actually has kind of nudged her and pushed her to investigate her relationships perhaps because Christy is one of those people who in adulthood does not have very many friends. She is married, she found the love of her life but she does not have, a ton of female friendships. And this mentor, this friend of hers is trying to get her to understand why that might be. And their relationship, I think as a result, both strengthens and also suffers a little bit uh, because of um, Christy's kind of investigation of these relationships. So it sounds really good. I am very curious about it. Esme was talking about it and was excited about it, which made me excited about it. So that is BFF, A Memoir of Friendship Lost and Found by Christy Tate. It also came out this week.
2: My next book is I Have Some Questions for You by Rebecca Mackay. I think I'm saying that correctly. (laughs) It comes out February the 21st. Um, Her previous book was The Great Believers. And I think it did really well at the store. It's been very popular. It obviously was a finalist for... Pulitzer Prize and the National Book Award, so um, this one is pretty hefty. It's four hundred and forty-eight pages long, so get ready. <laughs> but it is, um, it's based on this woman named Bodie Kane. She's a successful podcaster and film producer, and she's invited back to her boarding school, like in the Northeast, to come and teach like a two-week class about podcasting. Um, and so while she's there, she has her students start investigating a murder that happened when Bodie was there. When she was a senior, there was a girl that was murdered. And there was a black athletic trainer who was accused of the crime. And he ended up being convicted and sent to jail. And since that time, this was like 20, about 25 years in between when she was in school. And when she came back to teach this class. Between that time, there's been evidence that he was wrongly accused. And so she takes her students on that journey to try to figure out, really investigate, was he wrongfully accused? And while she's back at the school, um, some things happen in her own life that sort of are reflective of like the Me Too movement. And she thinks back about her time when she was at this boarding school. And she also realizes that there were probably some abuse of power going on at the same time with her, in her own life. With teachers and things like that. So it's sort of set in this. uh, I do believe for the good that we are moving into a time where, you know, thanks to a lot of nonprofits and, you know, justice organizations that people are starting to really push for, you know, Kim Kardashian, like people Mm -hmm. are starting to push for people to really see where they were they accused rightfully or where they wrongfully accused and, and, and can we release them but so this is sort of it sort of pulls a lot of cultural things in as hmm. she is also going through looking back on her own life and also walking her students through that process as well so that's I have some questions for you by Rebecca McCry
0: I think I'm going to read that it sounds yeah. so good
2: Kim Kardashian's doing that yeah
0: she yeah, went back and like, got her, a law degree, her law degree.
2: yeah so that she could like, she really has been working, I guess, mostly behind the scenes, because you don't really hear a lot about it. But she really has been working to try to free people who have been wrongfully accused. And I really yeah. cannot believe I'm saying things about Kim Kardashian. but <laughs>
0: <laughs> Here we are. But here
1: we are. Huh. Okay, my next book is Come Home Safe by Brian Buckmeyer. Um, and this is out February seventh. This is a really short one. It's like less than... 250 pages, like almost like a novella, uh, the way it's done. But Brian Buckmeyer is, who's an attorney, but now he's on, he's like an ABC legal analyst. um, And so he goes over like a lot of the cases that are going on, um, especially when they deal with racial injustice. And he wrote this because in 2020, when so much was happening, his brother came to him and was just kind of like, what am I supposed to do if I get into an altercation with a cop or like something happens? How am I supposed to be prepared to handle this in a way that like I make it out? Okay. And Brian at first was like, I don't know if I'm the person to tell you this because like legally it's different everywhere. But his brother was basically like, if you're not the person to tell me this, I don't know who is. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Brian like talked to like a bunch of different families, all of whom like, are, are in the legal field in some way. And he came up with this story. And it's basically a story about like legalities and it's written very academically, but it's like for children. So it's about this brother mm. and sister, Reed and Olive and they go through two pretty big moments with cops where mm. their parents have kind of prepped them for these moments. It, it, it's like, all of the like codes and rules that black kids learn growing up to keep them safe, that their parents teach them, that other people teach them. Mm. A lot of it was like, I, I had no idea, which is not shocking as a white woman that I had no idea. I should have, I should know I should have done my research, but it was, it was very interesting to read. But the first one, Reed and Olive, Reed picks up his younger sister Olive from school and they get on a train to go home. Um, And they pass these three black kids at the top of the stairs. They were chatting for a second um, because they were congratulating Reed on doing really well in soccer. And then they offer them to smoke some marijuana with them and Reed and Oliver Mm -hmm. like, no. So they go into the train, but the three kids end up hopping the turnstile and getting on the train and cops are chasing them. Mm -hmm. And people have given them a description. Reed does not fit that description, but the cop. Says he does and takes him off of the train with Olive filming the whole thing. It was hard to read, but like one of those hard but necessary reads um, where like the treatment of Reed was appalling in every degree. And like the way Reed walked away from it was pretty traumatized um, and a little bit injured but mostly just like mentally traumatized. Mm -hmm. But you see them go through it. You see them talk with their parents about like, did I do this correctly? What could I have done Mm. differently? And a lot of it is like, no, you couldn't have done anything differently, but you got home safe. And that's Mm. the whole point. And then they go through another incident with um, basically a Karen claiming that Olive stole her phone when Olive did not. And Mm. the cops not believing Olive over the white woman. But then their mother, who is white, comes over and changes the whole scene mm. because she's a white woman. So it's one of those where it's short. Is it for children? It's for a young adult. Okay. Yeah. The book said 12 to 14. And I think that feels pretty correct. It's honestly, it's just a little bit more of like an awakening than like a scare. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it is scary to think of mm-hmm. what possibly happens to children. But... Yeah, it was really well done. And it's one that I'm just like, teachers, if you're out there, make, <laughs> make your children read this. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know?
0: And librarian, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. books like this, I think Olivia frequently will see books like this and they're hard to sell in a bookstore. Do you know what yes. I mean? Like, they're, like when people are browsing at the bookstore yeah. mostly, now sometimes they're coming for a resource, mm-hmm. but a lot of times they're coming for something fun or yes. something, a treat. But- Libraries are resource centers, and mm-hmm. and so hopefully schools and libraries. And I mean, we will stock it too. But I think at bookstores, books like this are a harder sell than in a library or in a classroom setting.
1: Yeah, and I I think this is one that would it would start really good conversation
0: mm-hmm. as well. Okay, my next one is called My Last Innocent Year. This is by Daisy Alpert-Florin. It comes out on February 14th. It reminds me ever so slightly of the Rebecca Mackay book that Erin was talking about. This is a book about a young woman. It's the 90s, and she's in college. And she has two sexual encounters in the book. The first is this encounter with a peer— And she is having trouble deciding if she actually consented to it or not. Like, in the moment, she kind of asked, you know, him to stop, and he didn't. But she is having trouble labeling that as assault. And so that's kind of one experience that she has. And then she proceeds to kind of have this affair with an older professor. While this is happening um, to our main character in the world, the Bill Clinton scandal with Monica Lewinsky is happening. And there are several things. I finished this book last night. I read it and I read it in a day. Um, mm-hmm. I really, really liked it a lot. It reminded me in some ways, of a book I loved a few years ago that was not for everyone. Uh, just I just feel like I need to tell mm-hmm. people not everything I read you might enjoy. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I loved a book called Fire Sermon by Jamie Quattro. And there were parts of this book that reminded me of that, particularly the young woman's relationship with her professor and the things that they talk about. And it also reminded me of Writers and Lovers by Lily King, um, because the main character is an aspiring writer and she's in this prestigious university where she's learning creative writing. And then it also reminds me of Young Jane Young, which is a book that was almost a fictional retelling, reimagining of the Bill Clinton Monica Lewinsky scandal with the Monica Lewinsky character as the main character. So the book obviously has a lot to say about the Me Too movement um, without ever talking about the Me Too movement because it's the 90s. And so you're really getting this adult narrator looking back on her last year of college and that these two encounters that meant a lot to her and that she's still in adulthood is trying to unpack all of their layers and what they meant because, and this is no spoilers, truly, you know, all of this kind of going in, but like the sexual encounter that she had with her peer was actually more traumatizing to her than the sexual encounter she had with her professor. But then the encounter she had with her professor was obviously objectively (laughs) um, problematic. And so she's trying, you can just hear in the narration, her trying to figure out what that means. I love this book. It's very fast paced, The main character is also in a close-knit group of friends um, who I found really interesting. There's three of them who I really loved reading about. The writing program that she's in, I loved reading about. I love campus novels, and this definitely to me qualifies as a campus novel. You feel like you are there, and you feel like you are living this last year of school with her. And I also like this kind of adult narration but at first you're almost you can't really you can't quite figure out is an adult narrating this or is she narrating this in real time um but you soon realize no she's narrating it she's looking back and and she is trying to figure out what did these two things mean to me how did they affect and change my life? I loved this book a lot. It's a debut novel, which I was pretty impressed by. I'll be interested to see what um, Daisy Alpern Florin does next. Um, I really like this one. I think it's a striking cover. I think people might be talking about this one. I really mm-hmm. liked it. And while I've read some things like it, it felt really unique and kind of its own thing, which I think is hard to do around some of this subject matter. So My Last Innocent Year by Daisy alpert Florin.
2: All right. My next one is The Crane Husband by Kelly Barnhill. It releases on February 28th. Um, very excited about this book. Kelly Barnhill, she wrote one of my favorite books of last year, When Women Were Dragons. This mm. one is um, really slim. I don't know. It's, I don't know if you didn't call it a short story. It's 128 pages. Um, oh. I read it in one sitting. It is a book. I mean, it's being published as a hardcover book, but it definitely feels like a short story. But It's not a rebuttal to C.J. Hauser's
0: memoir. It's completely different. It is the irony of these two. It is funny to me, Crane Wife and Crane Husband.
2: I was like, is she trying to, you know, I don't know what, but it's, you know, C.J. Hauser's story was based on this Japanese folklore about the Crane Wife. That's what it was based Mm -hmm. on. And so this one is also based on that, but it's a modern retelling. So it is based Mm -hmm. on the Japanese folklore of, um, the story is that there's a crane who falls in love with a man, and so she wants to make herself like a woman. So every night she's plucking out her feathers, she's becoming a woman, and you know, they're very happy together. And then it just gets to be too much for the woman, basically. Like she cannot keep this mm-hmm. up, she cannot keep being a crane and a woman. Um, this one, I loved the way that she retold this. It is um, a mother, a single mother who has a 12 year old daughter, and I would say maybe like a six year old boy. The mother is an artist. She weaves um, tapestries and she makes like uh, collages and things like that. Um, Their father passed away. He got very sick, passed away. And so they've been on their own for a while. And she's literally doing everything. The daughter is doing like she's making the website, she's doing the sales, she's running the bank account, she's buying the groceries, she's doing everything while her mother is just sort of artistically absent um mm. you know making the art so that they can live on it but there's one day that her mother brings home a crane like a six-foot crane and her mother that's her mother's new boyfriend so at first I was <laughs> like okay can I get around like the fact that they are literally trying to sell me that this mother is dating this crane um <laughs> and it, at first I was like I don't know it's maybe too much for me you know because when women were dragons like I I think people found that hard to get around that there were like women who were literally dragons and the story just commenced with talking dragons. So if you can get around (laughs) the, the literal device that there is a crane that this Mm -hmm. mother is dating, um, you will not be sorry because this book is so good. So basically the crane has bad intentions and is, you know, you come to find out that he's a man sometimes, and then he's a crane sometimes. Mm-hmm. And in, when he's in both forms, he is abusive to their mother. Mm-hmm. She has cuts and bruises and scrapes and everything. And she's just like, she's not eating, she's not sleeping. And they're working on this like artistic masterpiece, her and this crane together. And the daughter decides after a while, like, no, that he's basically killing my mother and I cannot let this happen. So I won't spoil it what she does, but it's just beautiful. Like when I was done, I just was like moved and also like tearful, but, but like in a happy mm-hmm. way. It was just so so beautiful. Um, again, I think you could sit down, just grab it, sit down with it, and read it in one sitting because I I could have put it down when I was done. So if you can get past the the crane man <laughs> thing, <then laughs> this will especially if you like When Women Were Dragons. It's um, very similar writing in this one. So it's The Crane Husband by Kelly Barnhill.
1: Sometimes I feel like I read such odd books and then you'll talk about a book that you loved and I'm just like, no, I'm not alone.
0: No. (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) We all like something weird. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That sounds like people who would like like, woman eating
0: would like Mm -hmm. that. There was a book a few years ago that came out that I read where the woman was a bird. Like she literally became a bird.
1: I was thinking about that one too. And
0: now I can't remember the name of it. It was so good. I think it was by Megan Hunter. Megan... Anyway, the point is the woman became a bird <laughs> harpy. and I loved it. Harpy. The harpy. Yes.
1: Yeah. Good job. Thank you. Okay. On an extremely different note, <laughs> um, moving back into middle grade, Lasagna Means I Love You by Kate O'Shaughnessy comes out February 21st. I read Kate O'Shaughnessy's first middle grade book. Oh, what was it like two or three years ago now? Which is crazy. It was the lonely heart of Maybell Lane, and I adored it. The cover is beautiful. The writing was wonderful. She knows how to capture like a young, like twelve year old's brain so well. And this one felt exactly like that. So you meet Mo right after her nan passes, and Mo lives with her nan. Um, Her mother wasn't able to take care of her. She just has never been in the picture really for Mo, Um, but her nan kind of knew this was coming. And so she had made this plan for Mo where she was going to go live with her uncle, her mother's brother, and Nan has taken care of like her financial needs and everything. So she was, she was going to be fine. And Mo was aware of this plan as well. But as soon as her Nan passes, um her uncle decides he can't take that responsibility on. Mm. He's done a lot for Mo and her mom throughout his life. And he's, he's kind of, I I don't know truly how I feel about him in the book, but he's kind of like he needs to put himself first for the first time in his life. So there is resentment there, but there's also just like, you're my only living relative. Um, so I don't fully hate you, but because of that Mo ends up in foster care and Mo goes to one family where the brothers just like pick on her constantly and it's just a temporary family. And then she finds this couple who, had been trying for a baby but not it wasn't working out and mo came along and it feels like such a good fit except for the fact that like mo is coming from a place where she didn't have a lot of money um a lot of resources to her name and now she's living with these people where it's like they have like the living room where like it's just for show <laughs> but they have like another, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like they're at that level. Their their like grandmother has like a house out in the Hamptons. Like Mo is not used to living this life. So she feels a little bit like an imposter. Um, but while at the foster care center, she finds this like family cookbook and it's like all of these family recipes and her nan was always pushing her to get a hobby. So Mo's like, I'm going to, I'm going to start to cook. And the foster family is all about this. Like they, they buy her all the ingredients she needs. um, And she starts to collect family recipes from other people and she'll cook Mm -hmm. them. And then she writes about them in a little blog and it like takes off. Like uh, a New York times reporter, like writes about this because she'll just go out onto the street and ask random people for like a family recipe. And she gets this like really heartfelt story and a recipe from it. And then she makes it. But things start to really take off for Mo right before they come crashing back down on her. Mm. Um, It's one of those stories where like, it will tug at your heartstrings a bit, but like it has a really, a really beautiful ending to it. Um, And Mo does find like a family that like really cares and loves about her, loves her, Mm. but it is beautifully done. Kate
0: O'Shaughnessy nailed it again. That sounds wonderful. My last book, and we're going to do this quick, the last round, super quick, but my last book is Time's Undoing by Cheryl A. Head. This comes out on February 28th. I am super curious about this one. I did not receive an ARC, but I think I will be reading it because a lot of it takes place in the city of Birmingham, um, which is where Jordan is from. It's where I've spent a lot of time. And so basically a young Black journalist, it's 2019, and she's living in Detroit, And she's working for the paper there, and she decides to investigate this kind of family story. It's not really folklore. They all know it happened, um, where her great-great-grandfather or her great-grandfather was murdered in Birmingham in 1929. And their family knows about it, but no one knows who did it or kind of what happened to him. And Birmingham has a unique history that I really did not know. Like, I just assume a lot of Southern cities like Montgomery or Savannah or even Atlanta, like, have been around a long time. But really, Birmingham came up um, during the 1850s. And the nickname for Birmingham is the Magic City because it, like, appeared overnight, like, Mm -hmm. around the steel industry. And so it just has this really unique, I think, unique kind of Southern history. and. It was the site, as most of us know, of significant race riots, racial injustice. The Freedom Riders went through there. Martin Luther King Jr. spoke there. It was the site of the 16th Street bombing. So lots kind of took place there. Um, at one point, the city was even nicknamed, I think, Bombingham, because like the bombs would be set in these Black people's homes and in these mm-hmm. churches. Just really horrendous, horrific stuff. And so... Anyway, this young Black journalist in 2019 decides she's going to use her credentials now to go back down to Birmingham and to see if she can figure out what happened to her family and what happened to her great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather. And that premise alone sounds fascinating to me. But then, and I am so curious, but it's based on a true story. And so I'm very curious what role Cheryl, the author, Cheryl, had kind of played in that true story. But it is based on true events. and. I am super curious about it, um, partly because of my relationship to that city, but also just it sounds like a really, really good book. And we're getting a lot of books. It's so funny where there's like a podcaster or a reporter who like goes to an area. I feel like I saw that description in a lot of different books this season, but this one sounds unique and interesting. And I'm very curious about it. It's called Times Undoing by Cheryl A. Head out on February 28th.
2: Okay. My next one is a nonfiction release coming out February 28th. Also it's Enchantment Awakening Wonder in an Anxious Age by Catherine May. Catherine Mm -hmm. May's previous book was Wintering, which did very well, continues to do very well. Like we keep selling it at the store. So it's a perennial favorite. Um, but she is back with another book. Basically she realized after the COVID-19 pandemic that she was living in a constant state of burnout. Uh, you know, like much like all of us, I think we thought. Oh, really? Yeah. You don't oh, really, say. Catherine. You say? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and we've, you know, we've even talked about this, about this internally. Just, just finding the wonder, finding that mm-hmm. sense of childhood excitement, that sense of play, that sense of just your eyes being open to all the beauty around you, and that's what this book is about. It's separated into different sections like Earth, Water, Fire, and Air. And it is part memoir, like part her retelling us how she attempted to find and is attempting to find wonder and enchantment in her own life. Um, and it's part, you know, self help, uh, mind, body, spirit, sort of how you can recreate those same things in your own life. And her big push is that you don't need to do all these fancy experiences. You just need to kind of open your eyes to what's around you. Like if you are, on a walk with your dog, just notice the clouds, you know, notice the sounds around you, things that we can all do in our everyday life to try to, um, fight the burnout and just really, uh, I don't know. It's not become one with nature. That sounds dumb, but you know what I mean? (laughs) Just to find the beauty all around us, whether it's in people, whether it's in nature, whether it's in our own homes, um, or in our relationships or in our business. So, um, Hmm. I know that's going to do really well when it comes out because, um, everybody needs
0: that. Yeah, I'll be reading that one.
1: All right, my last one comes out February 21st, and it's Writing Retreat by Julia Bartz. I can't say much about this because I'll give away too much of the plot, but that's perfect for lightning round style. Uh, this <laughs> is about two best ex-best friends I had a huge falling out a year ago, Alex and Wren. And they get um, invited to go to this exclusive month-long retreat with this writer, Rosa Vallo, and, and Rosa Vallo is like a, a feminist horror writer. Think like Maud Dixon, if you will. Okay. <laughs> like who is Maud yes. Dixon type person? Yes. And they get there and there's like three other women who are also attending this retreat. And Rosa just drops it on everybody that you're not just gonna be like casually working on your writing during this retreat. You have a month to finish a whole book um, with a brand new idea that you're picking today. And whoever finishes the best book, and we all agree on it, they get like a seven-figure deal to get this published. So the stakes automatically jump. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Rosa starts playing weird games with them. (laughs) Like, creepy, like, horror-type games. Like, go down into my basement without a light and blow out a single candle-type games.
0: No. Do you ever wonder who goes to stuff like this? I'd be like, y'all, we're not doing this. You are not the boss of me. Bye. (laughs) Keep your seven figures. (laughs) Am I going
2: in your basement? No. No! I'm not going to your basement to blow out a candle. (laughs) I am not a sucker. (laughs) Well, where was, uh, we wouldn't have any great mystery books if no one went to a basement to blow
0: out a candle. That's <laughs> true. There's somebody out there is going to a basement. Yeah. I don't know who it is, but somebody uh, keeps doing it. Well, all five of these women go into the basement to blow out a candle. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> sure, sure.
1: Yeah, You yeah. know, the things people will do for money. Yeah, um, that's true.
0: That's true.
1: But things just keep getting odder and odder, and and stakes keep escalating. Um, it was really, really well done. Again, like short chapters, you just like fly through it. Um, really interesting characters. This felt like the plot meets like Who is Maud Dixon in like Lucy Foley style.
2: Mm,
1: so like, okay. I think it'll grab like a pretty big audience around it. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was excellent.
2: Yeah, I will read that. Okay. I'm all about yeah. reading about
1: people. <laughs>
2: it's a lot yeah. of
0: fun. I'll read about them. I won't be that person, <laughs> right. but I'll read about them. You can read about <laughs> it and roll I would hope none of us would be that person. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we would. There's a lot so. of things
1: that people do in thrillers that are comfortable. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, I love these roundups or rundowns, whatever we call them, because it's such a wide range. I feel like there's something for everybody. And so if you enjoyed listening to the books that we discussed today, you can go to our website, bookshelfthomasville.com type episode 411 into the search bar. And you can see all of the titles we talked about today. Don't forget to use the code new release, please at checkout for 10% off your order of today's titles. This week I'm reading My Last Innocent Year by Daisy Alpert Florin. Olivia, what are you reading? I'm reading Cold People by Tom Robb Smith. And Aaron, what are you reading?
2: I am listening to Age of Vice by D.T. Kapoor.
0: From the Front Porch is a weekly podcast production of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in Thomasville, Georgia. You can follow The Bookshelf's daily happenings on Instagram at BookshelfTville, and all the books from today's episode can be purchased online through our store website, bookshelfthomasville.com. A full transcript of today's episode can be found at fromthefrontporchpodcast.com. Special thanks to Studio D Podcast Production for production of From the Front Porch and for our theme music, which sets the perfect warm and friendly tone for our Thursday conversations. Our executive producers of today's episode are Donna Hetchler, Cammie Tidwell, Chantal C., Kate O'Connell, Nicole Marcy, Wendy Jenkins,
1: Lori Johnson.
0: Thank you all for your support of From the Front Porch. If you'd like to support From the Front Porch, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Your input helps us make the show even better and reach new listeners. All you have to do is open up the podcast app on your phone, look for From the Front Porch, scroll down until you see Write a Review, and tell us what you think. Or if you're so inclined, you can support us over on Patreon, where we have three levels of support, Front Porch Friends, Book Club Companions, and Bookshelf Benefactors. Each level has an amazing number of benefits like bonus content, access to live events, discounts, and giveaways. Just go to patreon.com forward slash from the front porch. We're so grateful for you, and we look forward to meeting back here next week.